Welcome to Drinks at Work by Boothby with Sam Bygrave. That's me. This is a show about building creative and rewarding careers in and around the world of drinks. My guest on this episode is the owner of Clipper in Auckland, which is often talked about as the best cocktail bar in New Zealand. His name is Barney Toy, and Barney is originally from the UK, but he has spent a lot of his life working bars in New Zealand. He now owns one. Clipper debuted in 2019, but then a pandemic came along. Now, we don't really talk about the pandemic or lockdowns in this chat, but it is interesting to note how the time of COVID spurred the creation of multiple revenue streams for the bar, so that now they're in a place where they're not solely reliant on what goes through the tills at Clipper every night, and so that, in the words of Barney, Clipper can just be Clipper. They've got consultancy work for other bars, and they started First Class Cocktails, a quality batch cocktail service for other hospitality venues. And I know of a few bars developing this model of a bar as showroom. So it's great to get into this with Barney. We also talk about his creative process, the attitudes he has adopted after becoming a bar owner, and how bartenders ought to value themselves and their services correctly. We get into that, we get into mentorship, and we get into a whole lot more. But before we do get into it, I'd just like to remind you that you can sign up for the Boothby newsletter at boothby.com.au. I send three emails a week straight to your inbox, and it's a great way to support Boothby without the big tech algorithms getting in the way. Thank you to the 890-odd Boothby members who have already signed up. I really do appreciate your support. Okay, so... Let's get into it now. Here's my talk with Barney Toy. Uh, Barney Toy, thanks for joining me on Drinks at Work. Hey, mate. Thanks for having me. I uh, love the podcast. Love to have a little listen about what you're doing and what's going on over the pond. <laughs> yes, you're over there in Auckland. Uh, you're the bartender owner at Clipper over in Auckland. Can you tell us a bit about what Clipper is and the idea behind the bar? How many years into it now are you, too? Uh, so we turn four in July. So cool. we've done pretty well. And um yeah, not so much bartender anymore. Uh, as I do as much as I can, I'm still kind of like like to do the creative side of it. But you know, as an old man, it's really hard. It's hard being on the tools full time. So we've got some we've got some epic bartenders that kind of do do a lot of the um, a lot of the heavy lifting. Mm. And what's the idea of Clipper? How do you describe it to people? So Clipper's a, a funny one. When I, I basically spent um, some time in London um, after. I was in New Zealand for 10 years and then got offered an opportunity to move to London and, and go work at, with a Kalukle team opening their new bar. And just being opened to that style of service in like London and uh, Europe, which is very much like uh, slick, everything's batched, it's quick. Um, the theater isn't about the theater of making a drink, it's the theater of the entire like environment and service. So it just gave me the, and that was like a massive hole in the market in, in New Zealand. There was no real table service, seated only high-end cocktail bars that we can. And I didn't want to do like a speakeasy vibe, which is very much still like kind of in trend in New Zealand. Uh, we're a little bit behind trying to close the gap a little bit. Hopefully Clipper's doing that. But we're light, bright, spritzy, highballs, fun drinks, tongue in cheek. You know, you know, we have a Miami Vice um, milk punch. Yeah. We have a, we've done blue drinks. We've done, we've done glittery drinks. We do that kind of like tongue in cheek fun drinks, but yeah. fundamentally like Clippers entire kind of bones and structure is service first. If you're a cocktail bar, you should make good drinks. Um, but service is what we focus on more than anything. We're probably one of the only bars in the country that do a welcome drink. So whenever you sit down at Clipper, you get a little spritzy welcome drink. Um, yeah. Which, what goes into that sort of thing? We basically that's how we kind of um, set the new guys into 
learning how Clipper makes drinks. So we basically, that's their job, their task to make the welcome drink. And basically with a welcome drink, we make we make um, a five litre batch any one time. And it's the job is just to get it kind of light, bright, spritzy, um, something a little bit kind of maybe aperitivo inspired. But making a batch of five litres is way easier than making batch and batch consistent after time, after time, after time, which takes a lot of learning. Yeah. Um, you know, the learning curve at Clipper that we kind of do is give people six months to kind of change how they think about drinks, which is really intense because... What, what's making the change we've got to make? So the two, the two main pillars at Clipper, is it delicious? That's the thing that we always say. Like, we could have the most out there, wildest, like, kind of drinks concept, but if it's not delicious, if it just looks cool and sounds cool but isn't delicious, then it's not going on the menu. It's not a good drink. Yeah. That's simple, like... Um, is it delicious is number one and can we recreate it time after time after time right. and does does it matter if I'm making it or one of the other teams making it it's got to be made so we a little bit kind of we do a lot of store-bought as well as homemade because there's this age I think it's just an age thing when you come into bartending you know like young bartenders want to make everything you know <laughs> like, I'm going to make this like I'm going to make this insane like 48 hour vanilla bean syrup. And yeah. I'm like, I'm going to buy vanilla syrup that tastes the same time in, time out, never changes. And it, it just becomes a thing, you know, and we use a lot of, because New Ze- everyone thinks New Zealand's really seasonal yeah. from a produce point of view. And we kind of can get really hard here. Limes can go up to like 80, $90 a kilo. Yeah. Um, at the peak, um, We've got, we had a lemon shortage for like two weeks. So you've got to kind of, they're, they're all the battles that we kind of face here. So uh, so then you, you mentioned that you sort of, you do less of the bartending these days. What does a typical week look like for you? How's that changed? So, I mean, it basically, I'm in the bar pretty much every day, you know, and that'll be kind of, I want to say I've got the kind of best of both worlds now where yeah. we have such a good team and such a strong team. And I have such a good business partner that works in house with me and Darren that Darren and the boys kind of run the bar day to day. I kind of keep an eye on the business just because that's what I'm still trying to learn. Right. Um, and, you know, if you want to, if I want to do bar two, bar three, if I want to kind of do anything else, I need to learn how to run a business and like running one small 25 seat cocktail bar. Yeah. It kind of like, you know, there's only like X amount of invoices and X amount of receipts that need to be processed and stuff. Yeah. What's interesting, you're saying you're trying to learn how to run a business four years into a business. <laughs> oh, mate. It's, it's hard. Like, and it's things you never think about. Like, yeah. first kind of two months, the bar, we, would, we were like, because we were new, we were, we were like the hot bar and everyone, we were making good money and all this kind of stuff. And then the tax man's like, give me some of that. And I'm like, <laughs> give me a chance. I'm just like, we've got the building to pay for, like... And it's just yeah. these things that you don't you don't really understand as a bartender. You know, as a bartender, you just, uh, when you work for someone, your paycheck hits the account, and you're like, "Wicked!" Like, you yeah. know, you go do that, you go do that first day splurge on on crazy expensive stuff, and you like go for dinner and drink the wine and all this kind of stuff. But now I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need cool. those like, new I can't, like, Yeah, exactly. But then the other thing you learn is, as a as an owner operator, you're the bottom of the rung, like. Uh, staff get paid first and foremost if the business is ever like during COVID for example like the staff got paid first and foremost Mm. Um, then obviously landlord insurance and then like 
you just go to the bottom of the pile. And if there's money, you get paid. If there isn't, you don't. Yeah. And you've just got to kind of make peace with that. Because as a bar owner, you never really... I guess it's like the dream of working for yourself, right? That's the dream. You basically, you buy yourself your dream job. But yeah. you don't get paid for it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sven Almaning used to say, you know, don't open a bar if you're not prepared to eat two-minute noodles for five years. 100%. And that's the crazy thing. Everyone's like, I was like eating, um, like there's a subway like a block down. So I was like, every day I'd be like, my, my entire meal for that day was a foot-long sub that I'd eat six, <laughs> one, I'd eat six inches in the like, afternoon, six inches. like yeah. yeah. But you just, it's exciting. It's, it's kind of, we've all done like crazy events. I know like you've done like loads of competitions and, and, and like covered all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's that kind of, imagine, imagine that kind of, endorphin adrenaline rush of like you know you're like i've got four hours sleep and i've got another 12 hour day to do i've got four hours sleep and yeah imagine that yeah. but prolonged for nearly four years yeah well you still have your hair so that's good <laughs> oh yeah i mean it's looking good yeah, it's looking good it's looking good so how does clipper fit into the auckland market you were saying that you know that speakeasy thing's still a bit of a thing in auckland what what does how does clipper fit in and what's the, been the response from the, the locals? I very much opened a bar. This was like before COVID even was a thing. I opened a bar that tourists would want to be like, okay, cool. This is a, a caliber of bar I'm used to. The feedback we got at first was insane. You know, we've got people who used to live in Sydney, Melbourne, um, Europe, uh, Asia, America. And they'd sit at a bar and they're like, this is a bar that could be in my neighborhood, in my city, which is like mm. incredible feedback from from consumers in the market it was a funny one because we opened a bar for and this is again an age thing i think it's we opened a bar for consumers not for bartenders not for industry industry and bartenders are super welcome yeah. here and they'll always get looked after you know we have a hospo beer and you know if someone's sat at the bar that we know or is in the industry you know we'll we'll sham around or if they happen to be sat at the bar and we popped a bottle of champagne they're getting a glass that kind of stuff but yeah industry industry don't pay your bills do you know what i mean and that's that's just the the crux of it, I guess. So yeah. when we opened Clipper, we're in a neighborhood called Ponsonby and it's residential um, and it's, and they've got, a, it, you know, they've got a really good core group of people on your doorstep. And when we opened Clipper, we were just like bombarded by regulars that were like, oh my God, you're like close by my house. And we get that like on the way to dinner, they'll walk past Clipper and come in for a drink. On the way mm. home from work, they'll walk past Clipper and come in for a drink. We started doing aperitivo hour. So, you know, we've, kind of got that in our mark now where we do like you know 12 15 spritzers negronis um classic italian style aperitivo drinks but just with our kind of vibe on it yeah but i think it, we came in hot um when we opened clipper and i came in pretty much like okay cool this is the bar new zealand's missing and that was <laughs> that was uh how was that taken <laughs> Uh, that was taken, I guess it was taken how, how I expected it to be taken, to be honest. Um, mm. when you become a bar owner, you've got to, you've literally got to put all of your chips on yourself. And if you're like, if you're like, oh, this might be cool, or I hope this is okay. You've just got to be like, fuck it. This is going to be the best bar ever. Yeah. Right. And then, and then you've got to stand there and make it, make it the best bar ever. Well, then you have to execute. Yeah. 100%. And I've always had these crazy standards that I hold myself to within service, which is impossible. Like, and then, but this is just, I, this, my entire life changed when I worked for a chef 
first time I ever worked for a chef. And I was like, oh, I'm clean. And then I worked for a chef and I was like, I am a disgusting person. Like <laughs> when I bartend, <laughs> everything is, and then like, just watch like, we're talking like three-hatted fine dining yeah. chefs. And they're like so meticulous and everything, mise en plus in a bar is like so funny because you're like, oh, that's where the orange slices are and that's where that bottle goes. Mise yeah. en plus in a kitchen is like, if you swap, if you swap the micro herbs like, different positions like yeah. shit's going down you're gonna get a bollocking so 100 yeah. percent. so everybody's got these standards within them 100 mm. percent. it's it's just whether you care or not right and that's been the hardest thing because i'll hold i now hold the industry to our standards in new zealand yeah. which is a really probably silly or self-destructive thing to do um, why, is that? why do you say that does it mean you just don't enjoy going to other bars now? Essentially, <laughs> essentially, not in, not in, like, but I think it's like, I work in a cocktail bar, I very rarely drink cocktails. Mm. I'll go drink, when I worked in a restaurant, I very, I very rarely went to fine dining. Yeah. Like, if you came to Auckland right now, I'd take you for the best Guinness, the best slice of pizza, and the best sandwich you've ever had. Yeah. But that's like kind of what I enjoy doing, and I love doing that kind of stuff. And when I go to bars, I just kind of, I, I just now, there's some great bars here. Like, yeah. and it's just, everyone becomes super serious. And this is the thing with me. Like I'm, I take what I do serious, but I'm not serious. Like, you yeah. know me, you've known me for years. Like, yeah. and when it comes, when it comes to crunch time, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'll switch on and go into like things need to be done. But, yeah. and I think there's just this kind of, it's almost like a generation gap in bartenders where young, like older bartenders now are just like those angry, bitter, like, <laughs> Polishing a glass, yeah. like that kind of. I was that style. guy at twenty three, so you know. <laughs> yeah, living living up to it now, though. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, I you, think what you're saying there's a bit of disconnect between some of the generations where there's, there's basically less a of whole, an emphasis on fun. Yeah, I think there's more. There's less. There's a gap of like mentorship, right? Um, that's happened. I got mentored by some incredible bartenders yeah. and some incredible industry people. And then this like kind of younger next generation, basically they had to like fend for themselves. Yeah, so now okay. they're like, and there's, and there's something, some people doing incredible things here. Yeah. There's bartenders at 23 that are doing things that oh, like at 23, I was just, yeah, 23, I was like smashing shots <laughs> and just being like, Woo! Let's go. I'm a bartender. Yeah, like, I've judged some comps recently where there's there's they're what 25 and younger, and they're doing things that uh, w- would have been incomprehensible to me at that age. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But also, then you've got you've got this. Um, we never had Google. We never had the the vast amount of like knowledge that's at our fingertips, right? Yeah. So I think that's I think that's then led to these these like young group of bartenders that are like, well, fuck it, I learned on my own. Mm. I'm, I got here on my own. So they don't, they feel like that they don't have to pay their, pay their dues isn't the right word, but it's like, well, I did it. I'm here. What do you want from me? And you're like, yeah. And you're like, cool. Put your vermouth in the fridge. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's certain things that come through having experience for five, 10 years behind a bar. You might be able to make the drinks of a certain level, but there's those little sort of things on shift and little bits and pieces that you can't 100%. read in a guidebook, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's and I think it's just that, and it's that thing where, like, yeah, it's just on-the-job stuff. Mm. 
But also now it's like... But maybe it's, it's only people like you and me who give a shit about that stuff. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, and if you... If you look, we're, we're lucky that we're, we've, been, we've been given some like massive international credit from Tales and Top 50 Best Discovery and all that kind of stuff. I reckon any bar oh. on any of those lists, if you walk in and there's a bottle of vermouth on the back bar with a candle behind it, you ain't on that list anymore. Like, so, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, like as much as we care, like, but it also sets a standard, right? If you walk into, I can walk past a coffee shop and like see a coffee machine and be like, that's going to make good coffee because that's what that, that's what those coffee machines, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't take little parts of it. It's an entire aspect. It's an entire little like kind of microclimate of perfect storm. Yeah. All those details make up the whole, right? And they make something complete. Yeah. And something that's credible and trustworthy. 100%. Yeah. That's the one. People come in and I always say that if people come in and say like, oh, do you do good martinis? I'm like, I'll make the best martini you've ever had. Won't be me. Clipper will. Clipper will make you the best martini you've ever had. Right. Um, and then people will be like, okay, all right. And then they sit down and go, this is the best martini I've ever had. We're like, yeah, because everything's done. All those little details. Glass out of the freezer last minute. Yeah. Like if you're having a dirty martini or a martini with olives, you get one in the glass, you get two in a smaller glass on the side with an ice cube so your olives stay cold. If you're slow drinking your martini, we'll swap it for another frozen glass halfway down so your glass is recalled. Nice. Those you're like and you're just like, that's the best martini experience. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I remember the first time I went to the Savoy and like I had a sip and I was at a bar, I had a sip, the glass was changed in between every sip, pretty much because I was talking to a friend that I'd not seen in a while. So I'm like, the first time like you. Doing my glass. you were probably talking for 10 minutes at a stretch <laughs> between <laughs> sips. <laughs> yeah, but it's just those little details. Thinking about those details, are you more creatively minded or like operations minded? Because both involve details, but in different kind of ways. So I'm, it's an interesting one actually, because me and, me and Darren were talking about this the other day about like, I'm definitely creative minded. Like I'm lucky that I've been in the industry now for so I've been doing this for so long and we do consultancy drinks for maybe 20 other venues around the country. Mm. Um, and you know, we bang out a menu for these, for these venues. Well, I bang out a menu, like the concepts of the, the basically bones of the menu. Mm. And I can, I can bang out a 10 drink menu in an afternoon and like nine times out of 10, they land. Um, <laughs> So I'm definitely creative minded, but I'm also like, I hate online forms. My brain does not work like that at all. Yeah. Um, so when it came to, whereas Darren's an engineer by trade, so that's how Darren's brain works. Right. So together we like, so da- I'm like, Darren's like, I'll do the forms and I'll do that kind of stuff. But then Darren makes incredible drinks as well. Like, and Darren, but Darren has an engineer's brain, which is really funny to watch that translate into drinks because yeah. engineers, about, engineers are about working the least, but getting the most yeah. out of it. That's how engineers' brains work. Watching Darren create a drink and get this incredible thing by cutting every corner <laughs> possible and still getting an incredible end product. Yeah, I'm like, man, you. I'm like, man, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, how do you go about creating uh, a drink then? What's what's your sort of process? Is it a bit messier, or is it like, or are you quite structured? Uh, no, it's quite structured. Um, I'm quite OCD when it comes to think like the. The, our prep space out the back, everything is lab- like labeled. Like the, the <laughs> Thermomix goes here and there's a Thermomix sticker on the shelf where the Thermomix goes. And then right. when you start Clipper, you've, got to, you've basically got to unlearn everything and learn three things. Because we don't, ra- like, mm-hmm. we don't round build at Clipper, which is very controversial. Why don't you do that? Because our bar is like so small. So two things we don't do. We don't we don't trade drinks and we don't round build. Okay. So everyone's like, 
what? You don't tray a drink? I'm like, we use trays to clear tables, but if you've got, yeah. if you've got, um, there's a, there's an order we make drinks, but basically we just run a drink as it goes to the table. We, as it's made, it goes up. So spritzes and highballs go first, shaken, yeah. shaken on ice go second, shaken up go third, martini stirred yeah. go fourth. That's the order. And so if you order, okay. if you're at a table, if it's me, you and somebody else at a table, yeah. I order a spritz, somebody orders a beer, and you order a martini. Yeah. Beer's coming first. Uh, sorry, spritz is coming first, beer second, you'll get a martini last. And then we've all got a drink with volumes, essentially, that roughly finish the same kind of time. Right, so that's the thinking behind it. Yeah, but it's also a case of, like, I can take one drink to a table and come back, and I have to walk through the venue every single time, so I can touch tables, I can see exactly what's going on. Yeah. So it's more of a... It just happened... Purely by I hate carrying trays. <laughs> so you can come up with a system to excuse your your tray carrying like disgust. Yeah, okay, hundred percent, hundred percent. But but now it's you fitted a whole philosophy to this. I love it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a book called "You Don't Need a Tray." Um, <laughs> the body toy story. Um, but just say that that was a bit of a story about like kind of how my brain works and why it works like it does. So when I yeah. create drinks, like it's either, it's either round, I've either got a drink idea in mind yeah. or I have a, or I have a style in mind. Or sometimes I'm just like, that'd be cool. Like the mojito, the, clar- the clarified mojito, the fancy Cuban highball mm. um, that we did, that was like a concept and I made it and it was gross. And then I was like, okay, cool. So I've got a, I've got a, con- I've got a concept yeah. that's sound. I just need to now nail that concept. So then it was like, so then it took probably, that one took probably maybe three or four days R&D. Okay. But now we've got a drink and then we're now going to rework that drink again. Yeah. To see, to see how well it goes. Um, But that's kind of how I look at making drinks. Do you set aside time each week for drink development and these sorts of things or periods of creativity? So basically, um, Monday's like kind of the bar's closed, so I get in on my own and I can kind of do all my boring back-of-house admin stuff. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, the boys don't start till 2 p.m. Um, so, and that's a, that's a full-on... The, two, the early start is a prep shift, so they come in and do all of the, all of the batching start all the prep so we get all of our oleos on start all our cordials clarify all our things do our milk punches all that kind of stuff and i'll be there within that i'll be there that entire time so i'll i get in at like kind of noonish and stay till around six seven ish um but i'm there for that and that's when you know if anyone's got an idea for a drink then that's when we can have like conversations about it yeah cool it's also in waves it's really if i get that creative kind of like vibe going I'll just I'll just keep going and going and going and going and going and going and going. Like I'll you know. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if it's sometimes it's really hard and you're just looking at a, you're just looking at a, like a, a concept and you're like I don't even know. Yeah. How? And talk to us about the consulting side of things. Is that a, a part of the business that you really enjoy doing, or how did that come about, and um, how does that help the bar survive? I suppose. Yeah. So. Consulting, I hate this word consultant because everyone's a consultant, eh? Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's like I wrote, a, I wrote a menu once for my local pub, so therefore I am a consultant. You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> I hate the word consultant, really. We have another half of the business called First Class Cocktails, yeah. um, which is basically our 
our solution to it was our solution to the the staff crisis in New Zealand when COVID was in. Um, so you had bars and restaurants wanting to make high quality drinks, but they didn't ha- they, they they weren't able to access the staff to do so. Cost of goods went up huge. Um, produce was a bit hit and miss, whether you could get it or not. There was lots of out of stocks. Mm. So we started off, we just had, we had a friend of mine's restaurant and he was just happy for me to kind of make some drinks for him on the fly to kind of play around. And he would just offer them as a, as a thing. And then I was like, ah, oh, this is cool. Yeah. And then we took a bigger bar up, uh, which is just outside of Auckland, about an hour outside of Auckland. And they were like, cool, we need 10 drinks on a menu. We want 10 litre formats. Right. And um, we want drinks that will never be affected by seasonality, never be affected by out of stocks. So we had to, that's a fun thing for me because designing drinks with no limits and no, ch- when you own a bar, you can design whatever drink you want and put it on the menu. Yeah. And stand, and stand by it and sell it. Yeah. Whereas if someone's like, cool, this is my, this is my bracket of costs I can use. And this is what I have. And this is, this is who I'm contracted with. So I need to use these products. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, cool. Now, this is like fun because this is like problem solving. Yeah. And, and that's all batch. Do you do you guys batch the stuff at the bar and send it to them? or? Do... Yeah, yeah. So we batch um, we batch everything in-house um, and then we, we either – some clients add their own base spirit because they've got contracts. Um, yeah. So we will, we will base their drinks around them. So, you know, if it's a, if it's a bar that's like Perno and have a Havana, we have to tweak the drink compared to yeah. if it would be Bacardi or, or Mount Gay or something like that. But yeah, we batch everything in-house. And then it's just kind of you have to scale that. We had to scale up that side of the business. So, you know, we were doing it from the equipment we had. And then we're like, okay, cool. We like need more equipment now. So now we have a dedicated two-door massive fridge yeah. that just has stuff clarifying and straining and filtering 24-7. Right. And what's the sort of work involved in this? How many days a week do you work on projects for other people? Uh, every day. Right. Every day we're like, so now we've just got the system. So we keep all of our, we worked out shelf stability and pretty easy, pretty, pretty fast. Um, so now we can have holding stock of, we have a clarified passion fruit cordial, for example, mm. and we were right. using loads of that. So instead of making it on the fly, we just now make five liters at a time and keep yeah. that sat in our chiller. So when we need three liters of it, it's there. So now we just got to a situation where we just now pour things in bottles rather than doing all the prep. All the prep's done like constantly every day. So we just gotcha. got par levels to keep. So that was another fun side of the business that my brain's like, I've never thought about that or never, yeah. never had to think like that. Well, because it kind of um, makes the, it sort of turns the bar into like a showroom. That's a, it's almost like the marketing for this other work, right? hundred percent. And that's literally, I was so, I got to meet Matt Wiley in London and hang out with him a bit. And that dude like hustles and that's exactly what, that's exactly what he was doing in London. Mm. You know, Scout in London was the showroom of what, this is what we can do. Do you want it? Yeah, gotcha. So then, you know, same as what Matt's doing in Sydney now with like Re, Re drinks, Re's drinks are like in some gnarly places Um, because, because they go to Re and they go, this is sick. Can I have that in my restaurant? Absolutely. So, I didn't come up with the idea. I just kind of brought it to, brought it to Auckland, and, and now, and now, like, there's multiple people following trend, following suit. Yeah, like you've got to find different ways to make money, right? The best way to make money is many ways. Yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, now that side of the business means that Clipper can just be Clipper. We never have to panic about what you know. You see it 
I don't know if it's everywhere else, but when I in New Zealand, if a bars kind of starts struggling or going or kind of a couple of slow months, instant panic. So right, we need to do a two for one. We need to do happy hour. We need to maybe get four. We need to kind of like okay, cool. We've got to buy the bullet and, and go to a brewery and get four beer taps put on because they're going to give us money. Yeah. Whereas we'd rather do that back end side of it, so Clipper can just be always be Clipper and never yeah. have to worry. And we can still do cool stuff. We host guest shifts. We've got um, we've got a couple coming over this year. So we and that means that Clipper can. Or we never have to worry about host closing closing service to host a guest shift. Yeah, because it's going to affect revenue because we've got all this back back end stuff that's kind of protecting us a little bit. Yeah, for sure. So we don't say that for we don't say that for granted either because you know if that if that tap turns off then we got to we got to hustle again. So we've got to kind of keep tweaking and amending. And, and keep making good stuff, right? 100%. <laughs> uh, what are the things about you and, I guess, your character traits that do you think allowed you to go on this career that you've got and do the things you've done? What are the things about you that makes this possible? Ooh. This is the self-introspection question. <laughs> right. Um, I guess... This is weird without sounding like a complete douche, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that I'm... The one thing is I'm not scared of hard work. Um, yeah. I think that's the one where it's in any industry. I don't... People try and separate chefs and bartenders, which you shouldn't. Because if a chef's willing to work a 12, 18-hour day, yeah. like, to achieve what they want to achieve, then as a bartender, you should be able to do that or you should be willing to do that. Mm. And, you know, like I'm, 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 I'm fully aware I'm from a different school yeah. of, of hospitality where, you know, work-life balance is huge now, um, even important to me. But then I think the hardest thing is you get a generation of bartenders now that want everything without working for any of it. Mm. Um, you know, they want, they want $30 an hour because you have no staff not because I'm worth it. It's like, you have no staff, pay me for it. And you're yeah, like, I'll, I'm like, I'll, just, though. <laughs> 100%, I'll just be like, I'll just do it myself. Like, yeah, and I think that's it. the other thing as well. At, at any stage, I'm ready to jump back into Clipper 100% yeah. and do service and patch and prep because why wouldn't I? It's my bar. Yeah, gotcha. I think the other thing as well is like, you never, you've got to value, value yourself correctly. Um, because, well, when I did, when I did Legacy, um, obviously on the back of that, I got asked to go do guest shifts and go overseas and judge and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I always remember trying to find out, like, all these bartenders are, like, getting paid heaps to try. And I'm like, I'd quite happily do it for the trip, you know? That's sick. Yeah. Like, like, and I sat, I remember talking to Chris Moore about it, who was at, uh, in London at the time and just happened to, like, kind of, click with him and he was like a really good person to just kind of pick his brain and Chris had Coupette now he's over in New York but he was the head bartender of Beaufort Bar in the Savoy for a long time just an incredible bartender like but also an incredible like person to kind of speak to this person that's just moved to London he happened to judge me in legacy my year and we just kind of got on mm. and he was like basically when you value yourself if you don't want to do it charge loads so if you <laughs> like if you if you don't want to go to this place for 24 hours where you have to get up early in the morning, get to the airport, fly to the place, do the thing, have dinner, go to the airport or, or have dinner and drinks that night 
Mm. Get up early the next day, feeling dusty, go to the airport and go home. He's like, charge for it. Charge for it. But if someone's like, hey, we'll take you to Japan, all expenses paid to see the market, do that for like expenses. Yeah. Because that's how you value yourself properly. Like I've been pretty loyal to a few brands that have done me very well. Mm. Um, and I think that's what a lot of bartenders don't see nowadays. Whereas if you brands are looking for like partners, they're not looking for flash in the pan relationships, right? you know, and I always get asked the same thing, you know, like Bacardi legacy for seven years ago for me now, it was 2015, you know, everyone's like, when are you going to, stop talking about that. I'm like, when, when Bacardi stops giving me amazing opportunities to do cool stuff, yeah, sure. which, which they haven't. And yeah. you know, we, I've opened a, I've opened a bar because of legacy. Like that's it. Yeah. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing where, you know, I just have 42 blow World Cup, like 42 blows on my back bar, not because it's New Zealand, because it's a brand that gave me one of the best experiences of my life because of 42 blow World Cup. So I think that's the thing that, it's allowed me to get where I am now, and also networking. I'll talk to anyone and I'll I'll hustle a little bit. I get a test, but that. also if you don't, <laughs> if you yeah, exactly if you don't if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. So it pays to be a bit cheeky sometimes, does it? Hundred percent. As long as you're not rude. As long as you're not yeah. asking for like crazy things. But the questions I always ask is, okay, what do I need to do for you, for you to be able to do this for me? Right. And you can get by a lot in the industry with just like a, a handshake agreement of like, okay, 100%, I'll work towards that for you. Yeah. But also, if it, it, you've got to be realistic. You know, if you're like, I'll sell a thousand bottles of gin for you a week if you take me to your distillery, they'll be like, 100%, do it. And then you're like, I only sold, I only sold nine this week. They're like, oh man, like, unlucky. Like. And it's a small industry so, and people talk too, you know? 100%. Yeah. Okay, last question for you, Barney Toy. Uh, what is it that you look for in a great bar, but I guess more importantly, what what makes you happy in a bar? Good question. Good question. I'm a bit of a – I focus on service now, so yeah. I kind of can judge a bar pretty well now on the first kind of few minutes of being in there. If yeah. we're talking like my favorite bar, mates, pints of Guinness, just chatting, catching up. Like that's my that's my perfect like hangout. Um, yeah, that that makes you happy. Hundred percent. Like yeah. having a pint of Guinness or a whiskey or you know, and just just relaxing because I have I don't have to be kind of on. Yeah. But I think it's really hard, as you know. Like it's hard to get true service if you're a known bartender. I'm not saying yeah. I'm known, but do you know what I mean? Like in the industry, they know you own a bar. Like. Like when yeah. was the last time you walked to a, walked into a bar in Sydney and they were like, "Oh, no one knows who you are." You know what I mean? So it's hard to get. I think it's hard to get true service sometimes. For me, like if a drink, like I'm not going to be drinking out there drinks. You know, I'm not going to drink the drinks that are like boozy as yeah. out there with like, ambergris. You know, you know. <laughs> yeah, check out this reverse Fernet Ramos. I'm like, why? <laughs> Just because you can uh, doesn't mean you should. <laughs> 100%. If you have a pina colada on the menu, I'm ordering it. That's what yeah, I'm going to order. Yeah, that's a standard order here. Yeah. Uh, it's the same as when I went to like Double Deuce in Sydney. Like Having a Cosmo at Double Deuce is yeah. one of the, the, the greatest experiences ever because <laughs> it's just a fun drink in a fun bar served by great people, but the drink is 10 out of 10 banging. Yeah. So I look at either when I go to a bar for me, like I either want to learn something or kind of see something I've not seen. So going to yeah. sit in at the bar at Ray is like, it's like going to school. 
He's like, okay, cool. What's that? What are you doing? How's that work? Da, 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 you know, like, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, and at 38 with, you know, 38 with 22 years in the industry, um, pretty like, I'm still happy to learn things. Yeah. Um, but I think for a bar, it just needs to be like good service. Don't take yourself too seriously. They're the kind of bars I like going to, but also like in Clipper, I've designed a bar and I've, I've opened a bar that I want to sit and drink at. I want to, I want to come and sit and hang out with friends and drink, you know, mm. a passion fruit Bellini or, a, mm. you know, like a pina colada old fashioned or a Miami, like the drinks that I like drinking or, so they're, they're the kind of the bars that I kind of gravitate towards. That's the dream. And if you've got, if you've got a good sandwich and bar snacks, then I'm in. <laughs> That's wonderful. All right. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. So I will leave it there. I really enjoyed talking to you, brother. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Barney again for the talk and thank you to you for listening. If you're enjoying these podcasts, then please share them with a friend. It really helps to get the word out and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get yours. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can rate the show as well. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, this has been Drinks at Work from Boothby.